When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. I'm your host Manuel Feet and yes, I'm back. Um, thankfully, probably nobody missed me. Um, I'm glad though that I had very, very qualified colleagues to take over from me. Um, Adrian and Josh, first of all, how's it going guys? Adrian, um, I heard you're having some bike trouble. Yes, I am. Of course. <laughs> The one time that Julia and I wanted to go on a bit of a lengthy bike ride, nothing, nothing that you get into manual. This was only, I think, 28 kilometers total. So not as long as you, I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But the one time that we wanted to, or at least the first time we wanted to the summer, of course, something happens with the, uh, with the pedal, it starts falling off. And so I need to get it looked at. This is a recurring issue. This is a niggling injury for my bike that just keeps coming back. So I need to get it sorted out finally. Yeah. You definitely need to go back to the store and get it get it done honestly yes that's unacceptable <laughs> yes it's it's unacceptable and it is uh it's cutting into my uh summer enjoyment time so that's got to go but other than so, that yeah wait you ahead. guys have summer in montreal like we do yes we still, have we're still waiting for it on the west coast we have uh we have a few seasons in montreal we have winter we have summer <laughs> light and we have summer heavy which is the very humid and hot time and then a little bit of fall so i guess four Four. We have four seasons, but not spring. Spring is just summer light edition. Okay. Yeah. We're still waiting for uh, spring is sort of here, I guess. Summer, maybe eventually. It's been very cold in the West Coast. You're not missing anything, Adrian. Um, yeah. Stay over there until August when summer maybe does show up. But um, we're not alone. Josh, how's it going with you? Do you, have, do you have summer yet? Is it warm there where you are in Ontario? I'm pretty sure it's the hottest day in ontario in like 75 years right now today is supposed to be it's it feel i think it's like 29 technically but feels like 35 or something along those lines like it is boiling i spent the entire morning outside sipping on a coffee felt like i was in mexico it's weird it's a weird feeling we need to send some of that over here (laughs) how we will make a trade just give me five more degrees I think I think growing up in Ontario, I'm going to take everything I can get. I guess that's fair. You guys do have winters, so I shouldn't complain too much. Um, yeah, guys, um, we had the Champions League final, the grand finale of the season. Um, I guess Filippo isn't here, and it it is about it is kind of funny because this is the first time he actually got something right all year long in terms of predictions. Um, I think though he he said a blowout for Real Madrid, right? We can't give him full credit. Yeah, I think he he started with a three two win and then uh-huh. he leaned into it heavy with a three nil win. So he he got the so result he, right. We'll give him. So that. he was still wrong. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> depends how you want to read it, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, um, 
I think it was just jokingly, but I saw his prediction. My my after after he had a good run last year at some point, but then he really got it wrong during the qualifiers. And I think ever since then the joke has been I go with whatever the, whatever the opposite is. Uh, but in fairness, I mean, Josh, when you look at this game, it was all Liverpool. It was. Um, but, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly where... Someone asked me what my prediction was, and I said, my head is telling me Liverpool because I just think they're simply the better team. But my gut is telling me Madrid, and we've talked on this podcast mm-hmm. so many times of this incredible run. I'm not a fan of Madrid whatsoever, but I thought their run deserved a championship. It was It was spectacular. The amount of times their backs were against the wall looks like there's no way they're even getting out of the round of 16 and then the quarters and then the semis and all of a sudden they're in the finals and they're getting peppered and yet they still found a way to win it's it's really unbelievable it's when one of my favorite champions leagues like what my favorite champions league runs to follow because i just simply simply speaking it was spectacular yeah it really was what did you make of it adrian Pretty much the same as Josh, really, in that while the final wasn't pretty, which when are they ever pretty, um, just based on what they accomplished coming back against PSG, against Chelsea, against Men's City, whenever they needed something, whether it was a huge save out of Courtois or it was, you know, a goal from Benzema or take your pick of whoever else to put in a brilliant performance, Modric, etc., they always got it. They always had someone that would rise to the occasion and they provided the most entertainment, which ultimately that's what this is about for us, at least on the outside is the entertainment factor of football. So they provided the most and uh, with that kind of record, with what Ancelotti's done once again, you can't really begrudge them of winning this, can you? Yeah, six, what was it, 60 feet on the way to win the Champions League? <laughs> Do you still get it? Uh, that's a remarkable record. Um I thought it was a bit of an odd game because Liverpool were were so overwhelmingly good, right? But also, I mean, Courtois made I think two good saves in the first half, and then another one in the another was brilliant one in the second half. Then there was Naby Keita who um, completely squandered a chance. You, you do have the sense that Thiago wasn't fully fit, so I think that was a big factor as well. Then there was that goal. Um, there was that goal from from Benzema that ultimately didn't count. And when you when you talk to people about about that situation, um, it's actually surprising how few people know that it has to be at the has to be two players. Um, the ball is passed has to be two players between the striker and uh, and the goal, not just one and the goalkeeper. Uh, <laughs> it's actually amazing how few people knew that. Um, and then of course that. The way it was explained that uh, the ball came off Fabinho's uh, knee. Um, so because of that, um, he was not deemed in control, um, which is why that goal didn't count. But you just had the thought, right, that Real Madrid would score something out of nowhere. And um, what did you make of that goal, Josh? I thought TAA looked very, very lost in that situation. It was kind of funny because like, I've heard two names. And it, I guess it depends on the perspective that you look at. So people were basically blaming Van Dyke and people were blaming Arnold. So I guess I, I initially thought Arnold just because you know how, I don't know, and I don't know if it's a mindset where you know how vulnerable he is at the back regardless. But when I first watched it on very, my very first instinct, that's what I thought. Uh, but then I heard a couple of different people analyzing it saying like, this was a shot. And they said that it was, it was clearly a shot. He took the ball with his laces. Maybe that, you know, fooled a few people, maybe got Trent lost. 
I don't know. It kind of, in my opinion, was a was a bit lucky because I personally think it was a shot too. I think he just completely whiffed it. And when luck's on your side, it's on your side. It's it's tricky. No one knows what is, exactly what it's like to defend these type of situations when you think something's going to happen. I mean, it, it looked like a shot. At very first instinct, when you watch the ball come off your foot, you're thinking shot. I don't know how that basically adjusts your body to try to defend that, but clearly it caught a couple of the Liverpool players completely lost and Vinicius just slid into the back. But in my eyes, like I said, on that that instinct, when I'm looking at Trent, you had no idea where Vinicius was. Whether it was a shot or not, there's still a rebound. There's got to be a way for you to track your player. He snuck into the back, easy little tap in, a little bit of luck maybe. But regardless, it was it was the result that Madrid picked up, and a lot of fingers were being pointed at Trent. What do you think, Adrian? I think that I would just echo what Josh was saying there because I think the most damning thing about it for Trent is that when you watch it back, as he's running back, he doesn't look over his shoulder one time to sort of check where his man is. So it does definitely come across at least that he was completely ignorant to where Vinicius was. And whether it was, you know, an attempted shot or a cross, to me, I I haven't heard that theory yet that it was an attempted shot. It might have been. I thought it was just one of those low driven balls to the back post where you hope that it takes a touch off of anyone, whether that's one of your own players or one of the defenders. That's what I thought it was. Um, So I think that you should be sort of, you know, heads up looking to where your man could potentially be because like Josh said there could be a rebound as well that he could pounce on so I think that a little bit of the burden goes on him some people trying to blame Van Dyke I think that not that I'm a Van Dyke defender or anything like that but I think that that's a little bit harsh because he was you can clearly see he was also looking at the overlapping run from Carvajal because I think it was Robertson was a little bit slow getting back so and it might not have been Carvajal but someone was overlapping to the outside just on the outside of Valverde and he could have easily have just rolled it to him and I think that that's what Van Dyke was anticipating while still trying to sort of half be in front of the cross to potentially block it but that's just how Real Madrid are going forward, isn't it? It's like Mm. I was saying, when they need a goal, they seem to find it. And they went forward, I think they had four attempts total, two of them on target, not including the Benzema one, which was offside, which just goes to show how sort of economical they were. And I think think you can also look to... Liverpool's back line it's being a little bit loose in comparison to previous editions. And that right side, as good as Konate is, as good as Trent Alexander-Arnold is going forward, I find that that right side of defense for Liverpool, they are there for the taking because Konate, for all of the good he brings, he does seem to have a mistake in him now and then. And the same can absolutely be said of Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, no, I, I think that was Arnold's ball. Um, and he had the eyes on the ball, but not the, the, the player he was supposed to cover, right? And he seemed really surprised that Vinicius was there in his back. And um, so when you when you look at when you look at the sequence, of course, it's a great cross. Don't get me wrong, but ultimately um, that's Arnold's guy to cover. And yeah, the team that makes the second last mistake usually wins, right? <laughs> um, that's that's how it goes. And uh, unfortunately for Liverpool, Real Madrid didn't didn't make uh, a mistake at all in this game. And um, yeah, it was that single goal that decided it, which I think I thought was really fascinating too, because I think so many people expected more goals out of this game, but then in the Champions League finals, it usually never happens. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those things where I I'm just curious how you guys feel about Real Madrid winning this, and then of course it's also with Liverpool in the final. It does kind of feel with those two teams like they were pushing into this final with teams that kind of are on the end of an era and have an end of the era feel 
what do you think of that, Josh? Because like you look at Klopp's side, um, a lot of those pieces might be gone at the end of the year. Sadio Mane pushing for a move to Bayern Munich. Salah might be gone. Firmino is on his last leg. Thiago was hurt. It does does feel like that for that team, doesn't it? It kind of does, especially with Salah and Mane. Those are the two big ones. Those those two have been so incredible for Liverpool for so long. Firmino's not quite what he used to be. Diaz coming in, making a huge impact. It, it looks like there's there's a big shift for Liverpool. And I guess you could have argued that that same shift looked like it was going to potentially happen for Madrid with, with yeah. Modric and, and Gross getting older. And and it's, I don't know, it just didn't look like this Madrid side was going to gonna battle. And they found a way to, to tip in the final, especially where, from what I understand, I mean, Liverpool were heavy, heavy favorites. And from the run of play, they probably deserved. So I think there's one big thing to take away, and it's just seeing the job that Klopp has done when he took over this Liverpool side where he took them. This was a team that I believe finished ninth. That's, I don't know if fact checker agent can prove that, but I think it was ninth to seventh, something like that in his very first season. Yes. He took them to the Europa league final, but this was a drastically different team. He's worked wonders with so many different players and mm-hmm. has made Mane and Sala and Firmino, at least two of the three world-class with seeing Trent and Van Dyke take their games to the next level. Allison as well. So it may be an end of an era and, and a couple of those, those pillar players are going to potentially move on. But I think like, for example, if they both move on or one of them move on, one will probably stay. Maybe Diaz comes in and, and really takes that starting role for himself. Like Klopp just finds a way to get the best out of his players no matter what. And if I'm a Liverpool fan, yes, it's pretty disappointing because, I mean, you're on pace for the quadruple or and you didn't get the two more important trophies, but there's still a lot to like about this side. And knowing that Klopp's your manager, I'm not overly worried. I think he's going to find the best out of the players he's got and maybe dip into the transfer market a little bit as well. Yeah, he definitely has, you know, a knack for finding these great, well, he and the, you know, analytics and recruitment department behind him have a knack for finding these perfect fits for him. And Luis Diaz is, is sort of testament to that and who they brought up. But one thing that I found interesting was after Klopp was being asked about, you know, they, they fell short by one point against Manchester City yet again, they chased them hard. I mean, what was it? 92 points. That's just a ridiculous point total to not win the league. He's now the carrier of both the first and second record as far as points gained in a season without winning it in the Premier League. And I think in the second Bundesliga as well. But anyways, after he was asked about that, he said, we'll build a team again and go again. So it that to me says that he knows that this is sort of the end of a cycle as far as the usefulness that they're going to get out of Mane, who it's basically guaranteed that he's leaving. Salah potentially could leave. In fact, I think, why doesn't Real Madrid, they have all that Mbappe money, why don't they make an offer for Salah, have him play down the right? That would be interesting. Um, and of course, Firmino, as, as you guys mentioned, is also on his way out. So it does certainly feel like Luis Diaz was the first piece that they put in place. And then they're going to slowly, slowly, slowly start collecting more players because for them it does feel like it is sort of the end of their at least their attacks cycle um and for real madrid as well you know it's <laughs> yeah, question how long the likes of modric and benzema etc can continue to perform at your own peril because it seems like year after year they just continue to get better and better and better so i'm sort of reluctant to say whether the, this next season is going to be the major major turning point for them as far as bringing their career to an end but 
Yeah, Real Madrid, they have all that Mbappe money, and it will be interesting to see how they spend it. Is it going to be Shuameni? Is it going to be a Salah? Are they going to go for someone else? I don't know, but it, it does feel like that domino time in the transfer market, doesn't it? Because now Robert Lewandowski is available, and there's a lot of whispers that maybe Liverpool will go for that more out-and-out number nine. So it's it's going to be a fascinating summer for both of these teams, I think. Yeah, Lewandowski is definitely available because La Liga today said that Barcelona can't sign him <laughs> after all this. Uh, what a joke! But um, yeah, it's it is it is going to be interesting because what are, what are Real Madrid going to do? And they obviously don't need Lewandowski because they have the world's best number nine in Karim Benzema. I'm, uh, I'm definitely giving him that title at the moment. He's been just unbelievable this year, and you could even make an argument whether they even need Mbappe, right? Um, whether that disappointment of not getting him as you said they're going out to Giovanni um they're probably going to get him now with the money that they have but whether like structurally they might actually be better off going after different players rather than that one big superstar um as big as of that disappointment was I think it might actually be a a blessing in disguise because they have to replace several players in midfield um Tony Kroos Modric all these guys are getting older and I know from Kroos that he said he will not play beyond 34 and he's getting there pretty quickly so yeah um definitely feels a little bit of a, a changing of the guards with them too although that transition is probably going to be pretty soft uh, rather than harsh um we have to talk about Carlo Ancelotti the man from West Van uh West Vancouver He's doing it again. He's probably already out here fishing. Maybe like, and maybe I'm even looking at him right now from my uh, my window because we have some really good salmon fishing right outside. Um, it's incredible what he's done at Real Madrid. There is no other way of describing it. This is a coach who had success everywhere he went except for Bayern Munich, uh, which is a chapter that's probably the only bit of a dark spot on this on his entire career where he just didn't work out, where it didn't just gel with the club. But even then he won two titles there, right? It's just this guy seems to be a perfect fit for a club like Real Madrid. And um, I really want to just give him a shout out. He ended the dominance of German coaches too in the Champions League, right? The, the, the three coaches before that were all German. Um, yeah, just a remarkable, remarkable things. Um, I think Ancelotti's probably going to be there for a while, right, guys? Yeah, I would assume so. I would assume so. Just seeing how well it worked out. And you can see how the, all the players reacted after the match, how they all wanted to go over and congratulate Ancelotti. They all wanted to go and celebrate with Ancelotti. Like it really felt like he was a part of this team in a sense. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but just more so than other managers where it just seems like they're the manager, they're the boss, and then the players ultimately respect them and they want to do well for them. Whereas Ancelotti actually feels like he's part of the group. And they all want to do it together. And he just, I mean, his record speaks for itself. This is the second time he's come to Real Madrid following a season where they failed to win a single trophy, as they did last season. And then he comes in and he wins the Champions League. But this time he also won the league. Whereas in 2014, he came in, I think it was after Mourinho's final season with Real Madrid, 2012-13, where they didn't win anything. And then he comes in and he wins La Decima. He wins the Champions League with them in 2014. So he has this habit of just coming in and getting these incredible results. And recently I actually did a video on, you know, managers and cup finals. 
and they speak for himself. I mean, you look at Guardiola has a 78.5% winning rate in finals. Ancelotti, 77.2%. And then Mourinho and Klopp, it gets a little bit lower. But I did sort of include that, you know, what percentage of those wins were in Super Cups? Because, you know, I like a Super Cup, but they are ultimately friendlies at the beginning of a season. Um, and Ancelotti does have a lot of Super Cups under his belt, but he's also the league champions league title holder with four. So you can't really speak to him. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested in seeing how they continue to build this squad and what that will look like once he starts to incorporate the young players, because that's one thing that he has really been able to do. And he hasn't really got enough credit for was how he has made Vinicius explode the season and all of the little things that he told him in order to improve his game. And he was the first manager to actually be able to get him to, to do so. Right, Josh. Yeah, and I just want to build on exactly what you were saying. And, and, we were, and you're talking about like the one point you said where uh, you thought the players kind of wanted to embrace Ancelotti. And, and I just always go back to the beginning of this season where they said, hey, no one we want to take over this side is available. So we're going to go back to the old guard. We're going to reach out to Carlo, give him a lifeline out of Everton, bring him over here, say, guess what? You have to work with players like Bale. You have to work with players like Hazard. You're not going to get a whole bunch. You're going to have to redefine this team and, and try to get the best out of it because we're not really backing for you. We're going to we're gonna save for a more appropriate manager. We're going to save for Mbappe. This is just a transition year. And then if your player's in that dressing room, like 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 Benzema and, and Modric and, and Marcelo and, and players who have been to the highest level and have won three, four Champions Leagues, and you're sitting there and being like, transition year, do you not see the type of team that we have? It's almost like they were set up to to prove the board wrong and, and prove that they can do something special. And Ancelotti got these players to buy in. He, he got, I'm not going to say lucky, because he, he just got players to break out when they needed to. And Because this team, in my opinion, wouldn't have been the same if Vinicius didn't hit the heights that he did today. But, I mean, having Valverde out on the right-hand side is just an interesting take. He had he played his, his 10 out of 11 pretty consistently all season long, really relied on Eder Militao to step up, relied on Alba to, to just adapt into this this league, this new system. And, it's just been an incredible rise on what was supposed to be a transition year where he wins his first Liga title, goes back, wins his fourth Champions League, and these this dynasty of, of Galactico players get to celebrate once again. It's just a really unique story, and one that I, I really didn't think was going to happen because I, I didn't think that there were going to be a pushover, but I thought it was going to be a, a bit of a transition year where the, Mbappe was going to come in and maybe a big-time manager, whoever it may be. And and Carlos just sitting in the background smoking a cigar, having his feet up, being like, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do it myself this year. And, and him and his team definitely delivered. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you can have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And Westman gets to celebrate. Um, Adrian, I'm going to hand it over to you now because you had some questions to ask. Yeah, and the last thing, just one second. The last thing I think that we really need to reiterate about this Real Madrid side is just 
how good Thibaut Courtois was and how important he was to this entire Champions League run that they went on. I mean, he set the record for the amount of saves made in a Champions League, in a single Champions League tournament with 59, which is just a ridiculous amount of saves. So he was absolutely crucial and he made up for some of the inefficiencies that they had in that defense. So a big, big shout out to Thibaut Courtois. You could argue that him and Benzema will sort of be vying for who you call the MVP of this Champions League run. But yes, I do have some questions for all of us really to sort of discuss. Just some sort of, uh, you know, end of season wrap up questions. We aren't going to go through, you know, top attacker, midfielder, defender, etc. Best team, all of that. We will do player of the season. That's where we will start. And I think that for me at least... Well, I just said how good Courtois was. I think that ultimately for me, I think my pick would have to go to Karim Benzema just because he's been on another another planet as far as his output and how important he was to Real Madrid and how impactful he was um, as far as you know how poor they looked without him on the pitch. And I wanted to give a shout out to Christopher and Kunku as well. But first and foremost, I want to open it up to you guys. Like Manuel, who do you think do you have as the player of the season for this season here? Yeah, it has to be Benzema. Uh, he's he was an incredible. Um, you know, there's an argument to be made that um, he kind of showed him and Lewandowski really have shown that in you you can be a top striker in your mid thirties and still improve. And um, I find that is is a really interesting, really interesting thing to keep an eye on. But he has been just astonishingly good, and um, it's really hard for me to go go beyond him when it comes to be uh, the best player of the season. I think he should be winning the Ballon d'Or. He probably is playing for the, at the wrong club, so um, he will definitely win the FIFA uh, World Player Award because that one seems to be a bit more unbiased. But he should also be winning the Ballon d'Or. Um, he's just been incredible this year. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, we said in the uh, <laughs> in our, our pre-podcast discussion that we were going to try to pick different people at least different opinions just you know make it a little more interesting but i i i agree i just for, right from the beginning of the season i just don't think there's been a a polarizing i keep saying polarizing like that's that's it's a split between opinions where benzema just over the years was kind of like overshadowed overlooked at like a lot of people liked him and respected what he did because you know he he his job was to feed ronaldo and and all of a sudden when when ronaldo leaves this you just get this brand new player who's this 9 mixed with a 10 and and he just took his game to an all-time high and it just it's been incredible this entire ride and he's done so well the goals he's scored have been sensational the leadership he's taken that armband on he's he's truly a madrid great and the season he had is i think in my eyes, his best ever. And he's had some pretty good seasons. Don't want to take anything away from his past. Um, and other than that, I mean, I like, I think Nkunku's had a great season as well, but you know, Leipzig didn't really deliver as much as Madrid did. I thought Salah had a pretty, pretty good season in the Prem. I thought Son had a good one as well, but when it comes down to just one single player taking their team to the next level and, and doing it in a, in a bit of an unorthodox position. And I just think when you think of a striker, you know, you think of a goal scorer. But in my opinion, Benzema just did a little bit of everything this year. And I don't think we can overlook that. I don't think so either. And I think, like you said, Salah was clearly... I mean, he was on track to having an insane season. But just whatever happened at AFCON... 
I think it was a combination of things. I think it was the AFCON disappointment plus the disappointment in qualifying for the World Cup plus the, you know, what's going to happen with my contract at Liverpool, whatever it was, his form just sort of fell off a cliff in the latter half of the season. It's it's really shocking looking at the comparisons prior to post because I think that there was like, mm. you know, there was a difference of like eight goals or more from post to prior um, as far as AFCON goes. But... Aside from that, I think we all agreed on Karim Benzema as the player of the season, and I don't think that many people will have a differing opinion, really. He really sort of ran away with it. But when it comes to signings, guys, when you think about the most impactful signing of the season, just let that marinate for a second. I'll, I'll mention mine at the end, but just think about it. Most impactful signing, who made the mo- biggest difference for a team. Josh, who's coming to mind for you here? I mean, there's a few, but I mean, we kind of discussed a little bit beforehand, and I'm going to say Luis Diaz at Liverpool, and it's for a couple reasons, is, I mean, going into a January move, and and I've seen it a a bunch personally, just following a lot of different, especially Canadians making that jump in January, it's difficult, difficult to break into a new system, break into a new team, and especially difficult to break into a team on form. Now, Liverpool at one point was the hottest team in the world, That, that incredible recovery they had to try to compete for the league title against City. And they brought in this player who was very talented. We've heard nothing but good things from him playing over in Portugal with, with Porto. And he had this opportunity here, and he just took it. He, he impressed right from the off. He got his opportunities in. And breaking into a side where it was just such a mainstay with Firmino, with, Mala, or with, with Mane, with Salah, and then, of course, even this year with Jota breaking in as well, kind of taking over a little bit from Firmino. I was like, how is this player going to come in January and going to break in but he for me was the third guy Mane kind of moved to the middle you had him Diaz on the left and you had Saul on the right and I think it's a very difficult thing to do to be able to grab a team that's going full steam and be like nope there's there's gonna be room for me so I know he only played a half season but I think it just speaks to the impact that he's truly had on this side and why I think next season especially when one of those two big players potentially leave that they're in safe hands because this player I think has just got an even higher ceiling and will potentially reach it next season as well. Yeah, what do you think, Manuel? Yeah, I mean, Diaz is a great shout. Um, and if Josh hadn't stolen him, I would have probably used him and talked about him. It's exactly the same thing. But um, because Josh got the first pick, and good shout, Josh. Um, 100% agree with everything you say. Um, I went, I'm going with Tammy Abram from, um, from Roma. It's just had an incredible season in Serie A in the Conference League and won that title. Um, I think it's really interesting how he left Chelsea um, because Chelsea signed Lukaku who didn't work out at all and um, is probably going to leave the club now again, right? And Tammy Abraham was sort of discarded. Um, that said, with a pretty big fee, 40 million euros, right? Um, to play at Roma and has just been a massive success there and really taking on the city. He has learning Italian and um, learned learned the anthem as well, Roma anthem, and has become a fan favorite there. And um, it's not often that English players go abroad and become a huge success. It's becoming more common now, I guess. Um, but you know, there has been a time when it didn't happen, and, and he's really shown that sometimes for a young player like him to go abroad and learn something different and go out of your comfort zone can really help you with your development and. He's just been fantastic. Um, the entire story around him has been just so fantastic to follow. And yeah, he's he's definitely um, 
been my impact signing of the year. And it looks like he's probably going to stay for a while too. Um, Mourinho obviously has been very good for him. And yeah, um, that's my that's my guy, Tammy Abram. And I hope he doesn't fall for, you know, speaking about him staying around for a while, I hope he doesn't fall for that return to Chelsea trap like Lukaku did because that did yeah. not go well. And just... You know, Serie A is an incredibly entertaining league to watch. Just stay there for a while. Great fans, Plus the food and the weather. Exactly. It's far. <laughs> you're winning. Tammy Abraham, you are winning. But speaking of Italy, my pick is also in Italy as well. And I'm going to have to go with Mike Mignan to AC Milan because, you know, there was a lot of questions around what are they going to do? What are they going to do with Donnarumma? He's on his way out. He was, you know, a Milan kid since the beginning. Um, and that must have been a very scary proposition. But Maldini and the recruitment staff at AC Milan lined up Mike Mignan from Lille, who had just come fresh off of being the best keeper in France for Lille and helping them win their first title in a decade. And then he comes to AC Milan and he helps them win their first title in over a decade, 11 years. And he was just superb. Once again, there was no drop-off in form. His distribution was great. I mean, the guy even picked up an assist for Rafael Leong's goal against Sampdoria. And as far as the shot stopping goes, 17 clean sheets. Um, I believe there was a stat out there from Statsbomb that said that he has prevented eight goals that an average keeper would not have prevented. So that tells you how many points that he's probably saved for AC Milan. And he only conceded 21 goals in 32 appearances. So Mike Mignan for me has been fantastic. And I think that honestly, with his distribution, his shot stopping ability, I think that this could be the next guy sort of, he has that trajectory at least that if he continues on it, he could be, you know, talked about as the best goalkeeper in the world in a few years, you know, once that pesky Manuel Neuer, moves on right so <laughs> i think that mike Mignan is definitely on his way to becoming a top top keeper if he can keep these performances going and for me he was the most impactful signing of the season but uh, i'm going to defer to you guys for this next question because i still need to think about it a little bit we were talking about this prior to the podcast just sort of a, seeing how the sausage is made here guys we we're talking about it prior to the podcast and we had a difficult time coming up with the top performing North American abroad. So, Manuel, who is your pick ultimately? Yeah, I struggled with this one because like, when you really look at it, there haven't been very many that have actually had an outstanding season in Europe. Um, whether you look at Canadians, Americans, um, or Mexicans, um, or any other nationality. Um, and that's, you know, that's ultimately... Um, made it really difficult for me. I, you know, I I kind of thought I would go with um, Brandon Aronson um, from Salzburg initially, and obviously he he had a he had a decent year. He's earned a move to to Leeds United. Although I do think that if he does have a different passport, um, maybe maybe that move is a little bit cheaper and he probably, you know, Leeds is also not exactly a world beater, um, which is, you know, one of the issues I have with this move. It's not like he's going to a top, top side. Like a lot of these Salzburg guys, when they leave Salzburg, Salzburg ultimately they go to someone who plays in the Champions League, right? Um, he's not doing that. And I understand it's the Premier League, but Leeds almost got relegated from the Premier League. Um so although he, he did have a good year, he's not my most outstanding guy. So I made actually a last-minute change. And I'm going to go with Geraldo Becker, um, who is in CONCACAF because he plays for Suriname. So 
I'm playing a little bit of a tricky card here. I'm sorry, because this is totally out of left field. But Union Berlin were fantastic in the Bundesliga. And um, they finished uh, fifth, ultimately. They're in the Europa League next year. This is the second year in a row that they're international play, going to play international football. This is a team that's only been in the Bundesliga now for two years, right? And um, their rise has been uh, extraordinary. And Becker plays a big role in that side. And that's why, even though you know he is not necessarily North American, although he, he just because he plays in CONCACAF, I'm just going to throw him into that category. So totally left field choice here, guys, but I'm going with Becker. Josh? That that certainly caught us by surprise. We were not expecting a Geraldo Becker appearance on this podcast. But who do you have, Josh? Who is taking it for you? Well, I'm curious to see who you're going with because I too had a last minute decision, and I was going to go. Me too, actually. Yeah, this okay. is exciting. This okay, is great. Maybe, we'll see if I stole yours. We'll see if I stole yours. I was going to go with a player who I just I simply I, wa- I watched these two players a lot, but I watched Jonathan David a lot more, and I just in the back of my mind, I'm like he didn't have a great year. He scored 15 goals. Little weird disaster. You could blame a lot of it on the distribution the chances but ultimately i just couldn't tell myself that he did so i changed it to tejon buchanan and i and i did that mm. for a couple of reasons but the one is just seeing the trajectory that this this kid has taken where he shined at the olympic the qualifications where he kind of caught attention which led him into the national team and then that turned the attention like okay well what's this kid doing at club level and he was playing for the new england revolutions who had a pretty incredible campaign at the at last at last season, I know they didn't go on and win the MLS Cup, but they won the Supporters Shield. He was a massive player into that system. He's versatile. He played at right back for a few games, ring wing back. He could drop in towards the midfield. He could play up in the attack. He did a little bit of everything that really grew his game and got attention at Club Bruges. He and he again, we talked about that difficult it is to make those January moves. Well, he he made it. Yes, I know Belgium had a break, which might have helped him just kind of get integrated a little bit more, but. He started pretty much every match that he was able to play as a left wing back. He played on the right a little bit as well. Got a, I think he got a goal and an assist, but always looked relatively dangerous. There's a few things that he needs to prove on with his game to take this game to the next level. But he also helped Club Bruges go on to win the title as well there. So he picked up some silverware, became a mainstay of the Canadian men's national team. And it just is a player who I think definitely at the beginning of the season has been polar opposite of what he has become towards the end. And I think this is a player that can, again, push for a bigger move. So that's why, with all those reasons, I I decided to go with Tejon. Did I I take your guy, Adrian? You did not take my guy, but I I believe Tejon scored the title-clinching goal, did he not? I could be wrong there. Mm -hmm. I I I think he did. It was not a stunner at all. It was a terrible goal, but it was his goal, I think. I'm glad you guys didn't go Jonathan David here this first market value, DB valuation thing. (gasps) Based on this, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, obviously, his, he, he, a lot of it has been talked about how little we're not that good, but he hasn't really been carrying a team either. No, that's just, true. That's fair. No, I mean, he had a really, really good start to the season, just like the tail end of last season, but he went on two really long goal droughts. He's had opportunities to score. So, I don't know. Like, I think he's, the supporting he's cast so was difficult for him. at times, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's so great for Canada, and I think that clouds a lot of people's view on him. But in he's he's done this it for a little before in the title winning year too. Like the first what was it like ten or eleven games he was without a goal? Yeah, like he got those thirteen goals. Like I think he had one goal in the first half of the season and then twelve yeah. in the remaining. So he's he's been through this goal goal streak before, and I think I think it's why his next move, whatever it is, is going to be so important. Because I don't or maybe I just don't stay know. and actually get that consistency in a club that is maybe not in the spotlight. I just don't know if Lil's going to set them up for success. Just with all the troubles that this club needs i mean i think they need money as well which is why they're looking yeah. at assets to to move on and 
it'll be interesting. But I mean, like you said, I mean, he's got a huge price tag and he's not really delivering. So and not, I'm really no, curious. Clubs are not biting on it. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, I mean, it's, this is completely off topic, but it's just something that I find really interesting because he does have a huge price tag, but clubs are not biting. No, and especially when he, if he became hot towards the end of this this, this season, like he did last season, yeah. that's one thing. But he was hot at the beginning and he cooled right off. So that's the last taste in everybody's mouth is this big price tag, mm-hmm. and the man has scored two goals in twenty games. So yeah, it'll be curious to see if people come in and if he does make that next move, it's got to be the right one because it needs to be a system where he can flourish. Otherwise, he may be in a little bit of trouble leading up to the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. I am the guy who did not prepare for his assignment and is coming in at the last minute with a with a pick. But, you know, Manuel just mentioned the word Mexican. And that got me thinking about who's done well in Europe, who's done well abroad, I should say. And I think yet again, Edson Alvarez deserves a little bit of a bit of shine for what he's doing at Ajax and oh, how he's been shout. he's been playing so incredibly well for Eric Ten Hag. He's so important to that system because he was the ball winner, but he's also been scoring goals. I mean, towards the end of the season, he scored in three consecutive matches to help them bring that title home. So Edson Alvarez continues to be very, very important to this Ajax side. And I believe that was sort of reciprocated by, didn't he just sign an extension until 2025, 26, something like that, Manuel? Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, Let me just fact check that for you, but I'm pretty sure you're right on the money there. I think that he did. And he's just one of those players that continues to do so, so, so well. He's still only 24 years old, um, but he was definitely... Well, the contract extension was in October, but it's still 2025. In October. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, exactly. And, you know, speaking of transfer marks, his value continues to just go on an upward trajectory. So I think that Edson Alvarez deserves some shine and he deserves some love as well because he's been consistently fantastic for Ajax and a very, very important piece of that team that ended up winning the Eredivisie this season and had a decent run in the Champions League until they met the Giants, SL Benfica, and got eliminated. Um, So the final question that I have for you guys, and this is very much going with the theme of the podcast, Unsackable. We're going to talk about the best sacking of the season or the smartest sacking of the season, i.e. the one that actually managed to turn the fortunes around for a particular club. Now, I think there's a very obvious one that we're all sort of thinking of, Manuel, isn't there? No, I was going to go with Domenico Tedesco because um, Leipzig were in all sorts of trouble when he took over. I think they were 11th in the Bundesliga. He did um, turn that team around. They finished fourth, although it wasn't as comfortable as it looked for a while, right? At at one point, um, towards the end of the season, it looked like they were going to be comfortably there. Um, They also looked like they could maybe win the Pokal and the Europa League. Um, Obviously went out against Rangers. And um, they did look a little bit jaded towards the last three, four games. And I think there is, there's good reason for that. I think Tedesco wrote this team really hard in order to, to get them to catch up and, um, you know, ultimately got the most out of this team that wasn't maybe the best prepared going into the season for various reasons, right? Um, and um, if you then still were able to finish fourth and win a trophy, a major trophy too, with the German Cup, and that that is a big deal for Leipzig. And um, I was at this game in Berlin at the final and um, Tedesco actually made, and I thought that was very classy from him, made a point in the, the post-match press conference to to thank Jesse Marsh for the work that he had done. Um, I had, you know, before before taking over, he said that was his trophy too. He won two cup runs 
Jack Cup rounds and, um, you know, it wouldn't have been possible without him. So, you know, he, he did take over in a difficult situation. I think Marsh and Leipzig, that was just not a good fit. It happens. Um, the club moved on, uh, found the right right coach for the club and ultimately he delivered. And uh, I think that is very impactful because, you know, finishing in the top four allows them all sorts of things um, to keep Nkunku, for example, to fight off uh, maybe a Bayern Munich signing Lima. And, uh, you know, it just, it just helps the club to grow and build on a squad that is a very good squad. I, I still maintain that it's probably the best squad in the Bundesliga and he's gotten a lot out of this team. So Tedesco is my choice. I think too that he's just a very interesting coach um, who went abroad to Russia, learned Russian, um, you know, expanded his horizon after a very disappointing time in Schalke and to come back and then take over a top club in Germany. And I think he's going to have all the opportunities in the world next year to maybe even challenge for the Bundesliga title. And Josh, do you echo what Manuel says or do you uh, stick? Do you stick or do you shift to someone else? I mean, I definitely, if I had one choice, I'd probably go with Tedesco just because I think he, he put that ship straight right away. But I think there's a play, there's a coach that I haven't mentioned that did do a pretty solid job. Now, I think... I think there's things to be said because I, I don't know who Adrian's going to go with, but I mean, there's there's a team that got a lot of money, which was a part of the big turnaround. And then the other teams that we mentioned are all pretty big hitters, but I'm going to go with Philip Clement out of Monaco. And I'm going to go with him because I didn't like the sacking of Nico Kovac. I thought it was pretty unfair considering what he did last season, but I mean, they had standards. They were slipping away from Champions League. That's something that they really needed to do. They slipped in third last year, which put them through a qualification campaign, which I think just really stressed out the players and made it very difficult to have a strong start to the season. And, and they just look like they're a little lost. And then Philip Kamal came in from Club Bruges. He actually left just like as Tejon was coming there. And he took this Monaco side from ninth and got them up on a massive winning streak. I'm just, just counting here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So they went nine, one and oh in their last, in their last uh, 10 games of the season. If they would have won that last one, they would have finished in second place and got automatic champions league. So they finished in third, they still have to go through the qualifications, I believe. So it's it was still quite a turnaround. There's a talented side there, but just things weren't clicking. And he was able to grab this Monaco side, bring him to the Champions League, and pretty much get job done from what could have been a, a pretty frustrating season for them. Absolutely. That's a great shout. He's, he's one that didn't actually come up when we were discussing this earlier, but another one that did come up, who's not necessarily my pick, would be Antonio Conte, who we mentioned. He took over the team when they were in ninth place and managed to get them up and over into the Champions League. So that is a big achievement considering how poor Tottenham looked and how Champions League hasn't necessarily been a guarantee for them. And he managed to get that. But I think that I'm going to show some love to the team that did get a lot of money but haven't really spent it just yet. I'm sure that's to come. But Newcastle's Eddie Howe. I mean, the the form that Newcastle was in was absolutely dreadful prior to him coming in. They didn't win a match until match day 15. And when he came in, they were sitting in 19th place. So (laughs) 19th place with, I believe, maybe four draws and the rest losses to their name. So what he did was he basically took them and he put them all the way up to 11th place from match day 15, winning one match to the very, very end where they're sitting in 11th. And I mean... 
Eddie Howe was one of those managers who, when he was at Bournemouth, they always talked about, oh, he's the next English national team manager, or he's the next manager to take over an Arsenal, or, you know, his name constantly got thrown around, but he stayed with Bournemouth and he stayed loyal to them. And he stayed with those players that he had brought up with, I believe it was like League One or something, their journey all the way up to the Premier League. And he got great results with Bournemouth until it sort of reached a point where there was diminishing returns and it wasn't really working anymore. But he still held that reputation of being like the next great hope of English managers because he had different ideas. And so to see him go to Newcastle to a slightly better squad and start to excel there and sort of get the sort of the recognition that he deserves ultimately to sort of deliver on all of that potential. I mean, not completely because what he's managed to finish in 11th. There's still a lot of work to do for the next season, but I'm very interested to see if he is that guy. And if he does have a more improved squad, because of course, Newcastle are going to be spending soon. If he can crack into, you know, top seven, maybe next season, can he get to top four after that? We'll see. And I guess ultimately there's going to be an interesting sort of situation that's going to occur with Newcastle because this always sort of happens when teams become newly minted. Do they stick with the guy that things are working with or do they get blinded by the the glitz and glam of some of the other managers that may be available this next summer or the summer after that? So it's definitely something that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. But I do think that just based off of what he achieved, I mean, zero wins until match day 15. Oh, that is that is brutal. So to go from that, where everyone was talking about, is Newcastle going to go down and then have to come back up? Are they going to be able to attract big signings with all this money that they have if they're in the championship? To get them up to 11th, I'm, uh, I think that's worthy of a uh, sacking of the season award or whatever we're calling this. The best sacking, the smartest sacking of the season. He, uh, he managed to turn things around. But uh, yeah, that's it as far as the... Uh, the unsackable awards section of this podcast goes. I don't know if you guys had anything else to add as far as other awards you wanted to put up. I have one thing to add because this has just come across my Twitter. So Carlo Ancelotti, when he was the head coach of Milan, he would live in Parma and his wife, West Vancouver's Marianne Barrena McClay, would fly him to practice in a helicopter. What? <laughs> That's crazy. That adds to the... He, he really is the most mysterious man, isn't he? This Carlo Ancelotti character. That's like Bond style. Uh, JJ Adams just posted this on Twitter um, because this uh, Alexander Pato did um, an interview of the Players' Tribune and spoke about Carlo Ancelotti. And apparently he's mentioned that he would just step out of a helicopter because like, he lived in Parma and his wife would fly. And uh, his wife is Marianne Brea, Barina McClay from West Vancouver, where they have a house and live in the offseason. He regularly is actually at Whitecaps games. Poor guy. Um, I hope that he, he drinks lots of IPAs and so on when he's at the games. But yeah, that's my little side unsackable head coach um, story. <laughs> Probably a good way to actually wrap this up. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I think that uh, we covered it all. We covered it all. Yeah. It's a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. It's been a fantastic season. We'll be back soon with more with more shows, with more content. Um, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing, uh, good or bad. We can take it. Uh, until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye.